Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creative. Then the next craft, block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. <laughs> Thank so. you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. <laughs> yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hi there, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to The Stages Podcast. As someone who has listened to the original Australian cast recording of the musical Annie many, many times, yes, I don't mind admitting that, it was an absolute treat to sit down and record this episode with the show's original Annie, Sally Bourne. Sal has, of course, gone on from child performer to become an established and much sought-after actor on stage and screen in an extensive list of performances nationally and around the globe. Her many credits include the original cast for many shows and musicals that figure prominently in the popular repertoire of musicals. Her destiny as a performer seemed inevitable. Her mother was a dancer, choreographer, and her father, the legendary Australian actor, singer and comedian, Ernie Bourne. Her parents met at the Palais Theatre St Kilda in the musical The Desert Song. She wasn't born in a trunk, but it was pretty close. Sally is great fun, armed with an abundance of anecdotes. She is the perfect guest. She is also a source of tremendous knowledge, informed by her celebrated longevity in a career that is often precarious, but never dull. The sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow.
Sally Bourne, hello. Hello, Peter. How are you? Very good. It's nice to uh, to catch up again. We've only met once before, so I'm looking forward to this chat. So am I. It's nice nice to be here. Well, I live here, but it's nice to be here in <laughs> podcast land. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It's nice to be here in your home as well. Uh, now, listen, tell me, what um, what do you do when you're stuck with a day that's grey <laughs> and lonely? Oh, uh, you know... I live in Melbourne, so that's sort of a bit of a given. <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> you surely stick out your chin, don't oh, you? Oh, I do, and I grin, and I and I sing a really loud C and sustain the note for as long as humanly possible until I pass out. Now, of course, your career began at the age of 12 in uh, in the eponymous role of Annie in the musical, which is up there on your uh, your wall of fame. Yeah, I often say to people, I was the original, especially my younger students, I say, oh, you know, if they want to sing something from Annie, I say, oh, well, yes, I was the, actually the original Australian Annie. And they look at me like I'm an alien, you know, because it seems like just such an impossibility looking at this old lady who's... Yeah, it's known, back in 1924, it was quite a good production. It was brilliant. Uh, let me remind you of your bio from the programme. Oh, gosh. Sally Ann is a pretty, happy 12 year old <laughs> who has never appeared on stage before, although she studied ballet at the National Theatre St Kilda for a few years. She plays the recorder, oh dear. a bit of guitar, and is captain of the drum band at school. She is a champion swimmer and has represented her school in the Victorian Championships. I don't even know if that was true. I wonder if Mum was padding it. Uh, probably, yes. <laughs> you still swim? I love swimming, yeah. And my kids are both fish, which is nice. Um, yeah, I used to... I, I did the ballet, and then... Because mum, mum was a, a ballet... Baller, a ballet. She was a ballerina. And she taught at the National, where I did ballet. Um, so I did the, you know, normal thing of sort of doing it from the age of three till, I think, about ten. And then I just got really sick of it. And then I got into swimming and used to swim sort of three or four mornings a week, you know, getting up at six and smashing it but I had big lungs you see so I could um I went quite well because I could do a whole lap without breathing which Would, probably held me in good stead for singing, for those, being a singer. those top C's in um those C's in tomorrow what was it like being thrust into the limelight as a 12 year old oh gosh it was well it was weird because you know dad worked at Tiki and John's which was literally you know it's 10 10 shops up from the Madge the theatre restaurant yeah sorry the famous theatre restaurant in Melbourne Um, Haiti, their daughter who's still one of my dearest friends my son is in fact at hers right now Um, she she was in it as well of course I knew Pounder because dad was in those showbiz circles and dad was always very much you know it's a job it's it's a job so you know you can't be miserable when you're walking out a stage door and you've got to you know, it, it, it wasn't sort of. I definitely didn't have stage parents, but I do remember being a bit annoyed being recognised when I was, you know, out. At, I used to do a joke in my my cabaret show. It was always a bit, bit annoying when you get recognised when you're 13 out with your friends practicing your shoplifting at Chatston. Um, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I do remember sometimes being like, oh, don't don't stop and talk to me. And also, dad, dad, dad was always famous, and you know, my dad could talk the hind leg of a donkey. We're so, talking the great Ernie Bourne. Thank you very yeah. much. So Dad and I, I used to remember my whole childhood I'd walk down the street with Dad and someone would go, oh, Ernie, and we'd stop for half an hour while he was rabbiting on about, you know, someone he didn't know, which was lovely. But so I was already a bit protective of, you know, my pers- the personal space. Um, but, I mean, it was great. It was really great, except for the first day of high school when I 
got sort of cornered by these bunch of girls who said, we know who you are, we think you're a real bitch, we're going to make your life hell. I was like, <laughs> hi. So that sort of thing wasn't very nice when you're a teenager. And a few nasty, I've actually got a few nasty letters from people saying you think you're amazing and you're actually a bit rubbish. That tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, but like, who would send a letter to a 12-year-old saying that? That's is this it. from adults? or Did I, you receive this at the theatre? or? I, you know, I can't remember. It must no. have been the theatre. But I remember vaguely reading one at my mum and dad's house, opening a few, mostly nice, but opening one that was a bit nasty and going, oh... That's not very nice, but look, yeah, I don't think I was, I don't, I don't think I was adversely affected by it. But I must say, when I did move to London, one of the things I did like was that anonymity. I did like um, going to an audition and nobody knew who Sally Bourne was or who my dad was or anything, you know. So that was nice to sort of um, have um, my talent or my, you know, just put everything on the table without any history. That was quite a, a nice change. Did you want to audition for Annie or? Was it the suggestion of your parents? Oh, Dad beat me into it. No, he didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, no, we went and saw Chorus Line at the Madge. Um, in hindsight, I was probably a bit young to see Chorus Line when I was 11, but I think a lot of that stuff went over my head. And I remember walking out of the Madge and, you know, as you're facing the, the doors, there's the, there were always the billboards up above the doors. Coming attraction. Yeah. Or an ad for something. And, you know, and then there was a thing saying, coming soon... Annie, and it was you know the the Annie picture with the you know the little orphan Annie leaning over the N. Lucky I've got these posters here, otherwise I wouldn't remember anything. <laughs> um, <clears throat> leaning over, and I said to Dad, "What's that?" And he said, "Oh, that's a it's a musical about about a little little girl, orphan Annie." And I went, "As you do, I'm going to be in that." And so Dad, being Dad. Went and bought the records, bought one, you know the old cartoons, did all the research and stuff, and um, I think I must have already been having singing lessons by then, and yeah, that was it. So it was, it wasn't. I was definitely wasn't pushed into it or anything. I was only joking. Um, it was just, um, yeah, it was just. Oh, what's that? Oh, that looks like fun. I'll do that. The auditions were a cattle call, I guess, for all the all the girls. First of they all, they were. There's actually a 1976 um, TV special called Changes, which follows my journey. You can see the line was all the way down, all the way down um, Exhibition Street, and I sort of somehow managed to get pushed through a little bit, I think, because Dad knew Pounder and stuff. And there is actually a little tiny flick of footage of me just standing there singing tomorrow. Um, yeah, so did that. Then I think there was a couple more recalls, and um, it was really, oh, you know, I remember really clearly that old thing of, you know, the first group of however many coming out, the second group coming out, and then, you know, you lot stay and you lot go, and looking into the wings and thinking, oh, that's rough. Yeah. Really, a bit harsh. harsh. Yeah. Well, you'd just seen a chorus line, so I guess it well, that's prepared true. You a little bit. I probably <laughs> did. I was like, oh, da na 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 na, bye. Um, yeah, and then and then a couple more recalls, and then I got called into um, Ken Brodziak's office with Mum, and I didn't know didn't know at this point. And one of the secretaries or someone came out and said, "Oh, hello, you're, you must be Sally. You're you're um, here. You're our Annie." And I just went, "What?" Went in. This was on a Monday. Went in. They said, "You've got um, press conference on Thursday. You're not allowed to tell anybody because it's going to be a big release, and you're going to be doing the Don Lane show and singing tomorrow on the Don Lane show on Thursday night." And I was. That just blew my mind. And so Mum and I just got back on the tram. We just sat, sat opposite each other, kept looking at each other going, what's happening? 
And then, um, yeah, and then it was funny because the the press were following Haiti around thinking that it was her and they were trying to get exclusives and it was this bizarre thing. It would never happen today, I don't think, but... And then off I went. The innocence of youth is a beautiful thing because I guess at the time you would have no appreciation working alongside Hayes Gordon, Jill Perryman, Nancy Hayes, Kevin Johnson, Robin Arthur... Absolutely. These luminaries of, of the Australian musical theatre, yep. which I'm sure you've certainly come to appreciate oh, and, gosh, yeah. and work with them again. What was it like working with stellar talents like that as a kid? I just think it's funny because, again, this documentary, the, the, the director and, and his wife, who was the choreographer, you know, it was a very slick, very like, come on, let's go. Okay, put your hand in the bucket and off we go. Sally, move forward. Let's do it. You know, it was very, very slick like that. And... I did get a good rapport with everyone and I think I learned a hell of a lot. And, but I don't think I was in awe of them as I probably should have been because I was sort of doing my job. But it definitely, especially now because I teach a lot of people and a lot of kids go to, you know, Whopper and NIDA and VCA, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that, that learning on the job, um, the study is great, of course, but that learning on the job is probably just second to none, really. Yeah, you know? what an apprenticeship for you. I know, you. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You know, and all that, and I remember really clearly what there being the one sh- one show, where um, I clocked off, and I was singing tomorrow. I must tell you about the dog that used to scratch its balls while it was I was singing tomorrow. That was that was a fun that was interesting, but I digress. Um, I remember once singing tomorrow and finishing the song, and you'll always a day away, and thinking, oh, what have I just done? Because I was thinking about my homework or something. And it scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God. And I, and I remember actually in that moment making a very conscious decision never to do that again, never to, you know, be, let yourself be somewhere else. I had no idea what a... I'm just, you know, automatic pilot, which was awful. Which is the danger of a long run when you've of done course. something. And that's what times. everyone always asks me. Yeah. They say, how on earth do you sing the same song every night and, you know, invest it and love it and it's, it's never, it's always different. And that's, the, I mean, the best one was when I did company with Watch This um, Productions a few years ago with Nick Simpson Deeks and, you know, amazing cast, um, singing Ladies Who Lunch every night. That was, because I'd never, ever done Sondheim. Right. Ever. First one. There was a picture there of me and Mr Sondheim, in case you'd like to see. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd never done Sondheim and, and that, that was definitely, and maybe sort of, you know, with maturity, etc. that was one where I went... Every night I'd walk off and go, oh gosh, she's taught me. She taught me something different every every single night. Um, but yeah, definitely that moment in Annie was a was a bit of a. Yeah, there's always a wake something up. to be mined in a text, isn't there? There's, yeah, there's something absolutely. New to find, and yeah. there's always a different audience. It's always a different vibe. Sometimes there's understudies on. Sometimes, you know, one day you you even at eighty percent you give as much as you can. You don't. You can't pretend everyone gives a hundred percent all the time. That's what I. But that's what is the great thing about it. I've done a lot of TV in the last sort of five to ten years, and I really like TV. I like the the action of trying to you know hit your mark and be in that frame of the camera as well as acting. But then you do the scene that was three weeks before, and then you do the scene. You know, it's nothing better than sort of doing the, the not the, sequential. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you able to keep your feet on the ground during Annie, or did you get a big head? Do you think? I think I did become a bit of a pain in the bum. In fact, I, I just will remain nameless. But quite a few years ago, someone on Facebook said something about what, a, um, how up myself I was because of someone they knew who was in the cast. And I was like, oh, that's not a very nice thing to say about a twelve-year-old girl. And they were like, because oh, I didn't realise I had read it. Yes. Um, 
Um, but I'm sure your, your parents would be able to give you excellent mm, advice. Yeah, I do remember oops, opening my drink bottles. Thank you, viewers. That in case <laughs> listeners. You, listeners. There's, there's no one watching. Oh, that's true. Thank gosh. Make up <laughs> in case we were playing Guess That Sound. Secret, <laughs> Guess That Sound. Secret, secret, secret sound. sound. Sally having a drink. Just one moment. We're just going to edit this out. I don't think I will. I'll let people Oh, listen. no. <laughs> You're so cruel. You promised. Um... I do remember one night Hayes trying to say something to me when I was walking backstage and I was a bit shitty and I just kept walking and he got really angry with me. Um, not really angry with me because I was a child, but, yeah, I think I think it was a lot because I had to, I did pretty much all the publicity stuff and, and Mum did get a bit upset sometimes because we'd get the schedule, you know, and in those days they called them A and B casts, which was a terrible thing to do to children. But, you know, sometimes Hayes would have someone coming down from Sydney or something was happening and, and Mum would get a call the day before saying, oh, you know, can, Sally has to do the show tomorrow night. And, you know, and so I think I was a bit tired, but maybe I was. Maybe I was the most horrendous person who had ever lived, but, but hopefully you're not. <laughs> you're a kid, you're learning, you're learning. Yeah, true. Um, Hayes is, uh, of course, quite a, an iconic acting teacher yeah. in Australia also. Did he offer any advice? Your performance? Um, yeah, I yeah I, th- I don't know if he actually offered advice, but I think he taught in kind. Like yeah. I, you know, those scenes with the two of us, just the two of us in that two. I think, um, he was just a great actor to work with, and I think sort of that's probably the, the lesson, and you know, Giving reacting and listening, mm. listening. Together at last, together forever, we're tying a knot. I don't need sunshine, not and make my skies turn blue. I don't need anything but you. You've wrapped me around, you cute little finger. You made life a song, you made me the singer. What about the dogs you had to work with? Ah, good segue. <laughs> so we had three dogs. The first one was Sandy, who, which we loved, and this dog was fantastic because he would... The end of Act 1 when Annie and Grace and um, and Daddy Warbucks leave after NYC, the dog's supposed to run across the stage, sort of wonder where she... Oh, I smelt her or something, and then walk off. And Sandy would run across the stage sort of sniff the ground, look at the audience and whimper and then walk off slowly and then break everyone's heart. Then we had another dog called, I can't remember, it was a little tiny dog that was just sort of fluffy. And then there was Bud. Bud was the ball scratcher. Oh, dear. So Bud was like a bit of a bull. Bud was huge. And I and I had to call him onto stage with a, a, cho- a chocolate. You don't give dogs chocolate. I would have a bit of melted old dairy milk in my hand <laughs> and I'd go... Hey boy, come on, come on! And this dog would literally be like, like lurching towards me, jump on me, eat all the chocolate. Then I'd be, you know, trying to drag him to the front of the stage. He'd be going through all the, you know, prop rubbish bins. And I literally would sit down and go, "The sun will come out tomorrow," and he would just really good time. He'd just look at the audience and cock his legs and just start <laughs> having a good old scratch. And he's like, "Tomorrow." And I wish we did have viewers now to see that. Oh, it was it was it was very pleasant. I'm just a complete, you know. No, he was totally upstaging me. Dear. Or yeah, 
I was going to say she, but wouldn't have balls if it was she, would she? No, no, no. So he, yeah. So those dogs, they, the dogs were were an experience. They were fabulous. Well, it's about forty years on now since yes. <laughs> How many? <laughs> about forty, I'd say. Lord. You've worked in musicals on TV and cabaret concerts uh, as a stand-up comedian. In, in Australia and London. That was interesting. So being a stand-up? Oh, no, it was just, it's, it was a, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Is it something you always wanted to try? No, oh, gosh, not really. I mean, obviously, clearly, hysterically funny. Um, no, I did, so I did lots of musicals when I moved to London and then I worked with Lucy Skilbeck, who is an Australian director, who started like an Australian company over there. Um, and so we did um, various plays. John Wayne Principal. And- yep. Um, oh well, that was actually for uh, that was actually for um, Patrick Sanford, but that's another story. Um, no, we did the first one we did was at the King's Head, and that was um, Blue Murder, and that was with Adam Garcia, Lucinda Cowden. Um, oh my gosh, I can't remember who the other people were. Nicola. Um, anyway, anyway, so Lucinda Cowden, who um, was in Neighbours for many years as Melanie on in Neighbours, we got on like a house on fire that was so on fire it was hysterical and so we just started to play and we started to write together and then we decided that um she'd lived in she'd moved to london to be a presenter on the bbc after being quite well known very well known for neighbors and she's actually back in neighbors now playing the same role um and we became best buds and we decided to do it and so we did our first sort of open mic thing and my partner at that time said, look at you. And I, and I was blue. I was so nervous. My skin was just completely blue. And it was, it was really great because, and asking whether I had a big head, I'd always been able to sing. So I'd, or I, could, I could always walk in somewhere and open my mouth and people would be like, talent, you can sing, awesome. So I'd not really failed much in my career. So I wasn't great at this and I liked it. I was like 34, maybe. And I'd been, yeah, so I'd been doing musicals for 20, 20 odd years already. Um, so, yeah, it was great. It was really good with her. It's, I mean, being a female stand up can be a bit rough, and especially in London, it's all a bit, you know, show us tits. Yeah, and, yeah. All, and so, I, I, yeah, and I, I, we did get to a certain amount of success, and then I got um, The Beautiful Game, which was the Andrew Lloyd Webber, Ben Elton thing, and the lure of doing an, an original musical in London, which was one of the reasons I sort of moved there, and also a regular wage was quite attractive. Um, but, yeah, it was fun. So, Annie, did that cement uh, within you the desire to be a performer? Or did you start Gosh, through high school? Question. Were you thinking about other careers as well? No. No, because after Annie I did... All the, I did a couple of ABC things. I did a few, you know, ABC kids things. I can jump puddles. And I can jump puddles was was massive. And then, and then, you know, from the ages age of sort of fifteen to seventeen, I was unemployed. Um, and I was at McGrob, which McGrobson Girls High, which is quite a you know renowned for its intellectual achievements of its female students. Um, and and then when I was 17, I remember being at school and there being a careers thing and, and it was, you know, put your hand up if you know what you want to do when you leave school. And I was one of, you know, three or four. And I remember going, oh, how can people not know what they want to do? So I don't think I ever thought I would do anything else. And then I got prisoner when I was 17 and um, and 
it was at that, that, that point it was because I was playing beautiful Annie Phelan who worked with my dad at Tiki and John's playing her daughter and it was a six month um, contract oh, so you weren't within Wentworth you were on the outside I was on the outside right. I was the um, I was the I was the reason why Annie ended up going into prison because she this is no secret spoiler alert if you haven't seen Prisoner <laughs> for 40 years <laughs> um, uh, yeah so Annie ended up killing my husband my, my father because of blah 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 um, so I was the catalyst for her to go into prison so at that point I remember it was something like $500 a week and that was what was it 1983 that's a lot of money mm. for a 17 year old yeah. and I was promised it would only be one day a week it was on a Wednesday and so mum said so do you want to do your HSC, Year 12, for those who don't know what HSC is, do you want to do your HSC at McGrob or do you want to go and work one day a week for $500 and be on a TV show? And I went, hmm, let me just think about that. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> and the headmistress was very, she was very, oh... Um, you need something to fall back what, on. Yes, so. what, and I sort of, again, I sort of would love to have said, well, you know... I did do one year of temping in an advertising agency in London, but I absolutely loved it, and they paid me in cash, and I was didn't have to think about my voice on the weekends, and I, I it was my choice to stay there because I had such fun. That was one year of R and R from it, but but yeah, never 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 done anything else really. I can't do anything else. Well, I can, but you know, I can type. It sounds like uh, mum was was a bit of an agent for you, was she, or a manager mum, in that, those early years? Yeah, mum was the mum was the brains. Mum was the you know she was so gorgeous because you know when when I got Annie, her quote was, "Well, now I'm not going to be Ernie Bourne's wife. I'm going to be Sally Ann Bourne's mother." <laughs> you know, and of course my gorgeous sister Elise, who who um, always got recognised as me and was so cheeky, she'd just sign her own name. Um, yeah, no, mum was mum was mum. I mean, if I've got a million. Um, um, photo albums in that drawer that I could show you there's so many she kept everything she she was the one who was clever enough to put all my the, my earnings from all those jobs into a you know interest account etc so when I did move to London I had some some cash um and yeah no but I did I did have an agent I was with Melbourne Artist Management which was Gary Stewart which who was my dad's agent who actually was Lucinda Cowden who I ended up doing my stand-up with he, oh, she, serendipity yeah it's all there's so much connection around um yeah, but mum was yeah, mum was mum was the practical sort of brains of it. But never they she never ever pushed me to do anything. It was always whatever you like. Yeah, whatever makes you happy. Yeah. No matter what you do, I'm on your side. And if my point of view is somewhat misty eyed. There's nothing clearer in my life than what I wish and feel for you. And that's a lot, no matter what. So, so no your, your mum and dad, you know, the great Ernie Bourne, they met in Australia, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, mum's yeah. Australian and Ernie uh, migrated from the UK. Correct. So dad was born in um, in Dorset, I think it was. Yep. I've got some facts. And he, um, yeah, he... It's uh, he he moved. He, well, it was funny because he was. I think he came. He never mentioned it because I think he thought it was rude to mum. But apparently, he was chasing a girl he'd met. Oh, coming out here. Yeah, right. and he went. He ended up in Geelong. And when he got here, cause it was six months on a boat. Um, I think she was either engaged or already married. <laughs> Poor love. It's a long way to go. 
Um, and then he did, I think he did something like a panto or something and had one line and got a laugh and he was hooked. And then he joined the Geelong Musical Society, so, I think it was. Well, I've talked to Barry Crocker and Barry Crocker said that he and Ernie used to do some, some gigs around Geelong Dad together. was Barry Crocker's best man at his wedding. Really? He wow. was. Yeah, so then he... Yeah, so he, he did the Geelong Musical Comedy com- um, Comedy Company and then he yeah then he moved to 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 melbourne and he don't, he didn't have any look um oh, what's the gentleman's name Noel giles actually interviewed him for about 6 hours which is how long he would have needed to talk to my father about things and my sister's got the tapes i haven't listened to them all but it's very detailed about everything he went through but he did go to he did come to melbourne and then he sort of got in with Ch- um, channel 9 and all those you know Brian and Hannon shows and and I'm um, in Melbourne tonight and the, the, Graham, early TV yeah the Graham Kennedy stuff so he was one of those you know a bit like Bert who sort of would come and do the do, sorry do all the sketches and stuff and of course, all of those um, villains in that, those panto style shows, like Magic Circle Club. And, oh well, Adventure, Adventure Island. Island. Yeah. I, Adventure Island is one of my earliest memories. I mean, Dad played Fester Fumble. He was Fester Fumble. There's a again <laughs> another picture up there. I've got, gosh, I wish we had televisions. I will. Um, um, I'll show you all these later. But Dad, yeah, Adventure Island. He played the sun and the moon and the and he had a. My sister's got it. He's got a scrapbook of. It's about. It's about eighty different characters and the oh, makeup no, and all that. So Jasper Crookley. So yeah. Cedric Sneak, oh, he Captain was, Crook, he was Chummy a, Chums. He was oh Chummy Chums. I, <laughs> I remember going. I remember watching it because it was in black and white. And if you look up Adventure Island on YouTube, there's there are a few little clips. Even though apparently the ABC um, recorded over a lot of them because they needed the tape. <laughs> um, but I've got a couple of um, discs. Yeah, mm. there's but there is a couple of things on online, and the set. I remember. I mean, it must have been about three or four, but. On, in black and white, it looked fabulous because it was, you know, this fantasy land for those who don't know. But look it up on YouTube. It's really, really great. Um, and I remember being taken to the set and it was the most colourful, beautiful thing. And Dad was actually Samson the cat. So Sue Donovan and Dad started. So this, this, this show started with a bit of a narration going into Adventure Island. And so... Um, he was also one of the parrots as well. So Sue would open the, the storybook and say, hello, girls and boys, welcome to Venture Island, la, 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 you know, all that stuff. And Samson the cat would be the sort of smart-ass cat there chatting away. And everybody loved Samson. And, oh, can you imagine, I think it was my sister's fifth or sixth birthday, Dad brought Samson home. Wow. And so we set up a little theatre-etty thing and sat all the kids down, and there was Samson. I mean... Special guest star. That's, that's, that's pretty good points. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be these days, a cartoon of Bluey or something, or a Bananas in Pyjamas, that's probably far too old. Yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't <laughs> work. Um, he hadn't performed before coming to Australia, had he? He actually, because oh, I was reading this thing from Noel Giles, and he it said, and I shall quote, because I'm not good with facts, it said he, yeah, so after the war he had one line in Panto in Bristol. That's what it was. And then after that he... Because he was in cargo ships in World War Two, he he thought it yeah. was going to be romantic being in, in the war. British ended up, Navy. Yes, yeah. he ended up underneath peeling potatoes for twenty four hours a day. It wasn't very glamorous. But then, yeah, then he did one panto in Bristol. So I think that was the seed, and then he came to Australia and found Geelong Musical yeah. Comedy Society, and um, well, then, which is a great way to meet people as well. As yeah, I mean, imagine that. I mean, can you, you know. Going, go, coming over on your own, not knowing, well, knowing one girl who's engaged, and I, I can't remember her name, but he did have a landlady he he um, 
stay with her in her house and they were very close but it would be quite a lonely existence for a while wouldn't it did you meet mum in Geelong or Melbourne no no they met in Melbourne so um mum was a, a, a ballet dancer and her all her cronies you know they um Bill was it Bill Carr he was the choreographer so she did lots of you know guest spots on tv and cabarets and things and stuff and they actually met in um the production of the desert song at the Palais Theatre in St Kilda I know it's like I wasn't born in a trunk but I was no. you know it's like really when I tell people that story they go oh well, mum was a dancer dad was an actor singer comedian I was like I wasn't going to be a brain surgeon have you played the Palais no, oh, oh. no, uh, that's not true. I did Jesus Christ Superstar at with Melbourne High McGraw with Dean Lotherington, who I ended up doing Les Mis with right. um, in Sydney at the Theatre Royal years later. Who I first moved out of home with, one of my dearest friends. Rangers had arranged or has arranged a lot of my. So he was at the boys' school. That, he was at the boys' school. So he was Judas. With. I was Mary. Right. And then when we were 20, he put on a celebration of the um, joint schools um, productions called 25 Years of Opera, which I, so I did a couple of songs in that, but not a, a sort of pro show like that. So it was a tot. You're watching your folks in a whole series of shows, I Guys know. and Dolls, Man of La Mancha. I remember seeing, because the old, oh, what was it called? Um, it was in Regent Street. Um, Judith Roberts was, was uh, in Guys and Dolls. It was Judith Roberts. It was um, Colette Mann. Um, Dad was nicely, nicely, and it was. I can't, and I wish I could remember. Someone can write in, write in. Where do you write? Just write, just write to me. It was downstairs, um, the Capitol. No, anyway, it was a down. The theatre was downstairs, and I remember Dad doing "Sit Down, You Rock in the Boat," and I, I must have been about seven, maybe, and getting like a massive standing ovation and thinking, "Oh, this is a bit fun." But it was "Man of La Mancha" for me because that was at the Madge. And La Mancha to this day is still one of my favourite musicals. It's just so incredible, and it has to be done really well. And I remember the end of the end of it. Um, Dad and Suzanne Steele walking forward and singing "To Dream the Impossible Dream" well, after Don Quixote's um, passed, and Dad just streaming with tears, and thinking, "Oh gosh!" And afterwards saying to him, "How do you do that?" And he said, "Oh, I just access some sad memories." He said, "I think of you know when my dad passed away." And ironically, a couple of years ago when I did Bring a Dune, I had to run on stage crying and I sort of did a bit of the same and one of the actors who was lovely said, are you all right? Because I had to be very, like, hysterically crying. And so I used to walk around backstage at interval going, <sighs> you know, because my mum had just passed away wow. and stuff. And um, one of the actors was like, are you all right? I went, no, no, this is just what we do. As long as you can switch it off. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but you know, and I, I know, I know there's, uh, there's a lot of different acting techniques and stuff, but I, that personalisation really works for me. And Dad was very honest about that sort of thing. But, yeah, Man of La Mancha was, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but Man of La Mancha was probably the one where I was like, wow, because it was quite dark and real and heavy and, you know. So the last time we saw him on stage, was that Maurice in Beauty and the Beast? No, no he did he Dirty just... Dancing after that. Did he? Right. Yes, and and so so he was Beauty and the Beast, he was about 68 odd, um, and then he was Mr Schumacher in Dirty Dancing, and Mr Schumacher and Mrs Schumacher, if you've seen the show, they only they leave sort of halfway through Act 2, um, and so he sang Bessa Mamucho in that, I think, which was Bessa Mamucho, you know, milking the hell out of it. And then for some reason the director... At the end of Act Two with the whole, I've had the time of my life, which we actually played at the end of Dad's funeral. Oh. And we were dancing in the aisles and stuff. Um, um, they put da Dad and Luke Joslin, who I did um, Brigadoon with, downstage right in drag. 
And, like, you don't put my father downstage right in drag. He was, he was all this sort of, you know, like sort of pushing up his boobs and, 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 and milk. And I, after I saw it and afterwards I said, you can't do that, Dad. He said, what? I said, you are pulling focus like you wouldn't. I am not. No, I'm not. I'm going for the laugh. <laughs> Just going for the laugh, even though I'm supposed to be doing nothing. And actually, it was funny because when I did meet, when I did work with Luke, he w- he would say to me, oh, "Your father in that? Oh my gosh!" And I was like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." No idea. <laughs> no idea. Wipe my hands. <laughs> Big musical is that nine? Yes. Wow. I said to you earlier that is one of I put that down as one of my five favourite nights in the. Oh theater. my gosh! What are the other ones? It, uh, well, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me later. No, but but not. It was so special that that Australian production. It was. And what a cast! Oh my gosh! And you know that was well the old days when I was a soprano. Though that four part harmony, I met my one of my best friends in my my life, Alison Jaya, in that. Is show. this the overture you're talking about? The overture. Yeah. So we're all sitting there, and it's te- you know Tina Arena and, and Nancy Hayes and Maria Mercedes, Jackie Reese, Carolyn Gilmer, Carolyn Gilmer. Peter oh God, yeah, there's just too many. I mean, every single one of them. And John Owen Edwards, who was famous for the Doily Cart in London, in the UK, he came out as musical director, and he was fantastic. I was like, all right, everyone, ready? La 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 la. La 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 all of that stuff. I wasn't in the bottom row. And it was just like, oh my god. I mean, apart from the fact when do you have twenty-one women singing four-part harmonies was insane. And so yeah, I was one of the Germans at the spa, me, Penny Richards, Alex Longman and Alison Giles. I used to um, at the at the com uh, ooh, the comedy one? Yeah. Yep. at the comedy the the stage right um, box which was ne- no one was ever sitting in it. I remember I used to just peek through the peek through the curtains and watch Maria singing "Be on Your Own" and that oh, look. There's certain musical moments that just kill me. Like um, and you always love a sits probe. You know when you first hear the orchestra and that ba 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 boom ba 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 just you. We were all just, and I remember Amanda Muggledon was there because I think she must have been a really good friend of someone's. And I looked over, and everybody's just like streaming. It was just so beautiful. And John, the way the orchestra, the, the orchestra, it was a you know back a long long time before we synthed a lot of stuff, so we had all those strings and everything, and it sounded so beautiful. And yeah, you know, I was twenty, and the last show I did before I left London, before I got pregnant, when I was thirty seven was Jerry Springer the opera at the Royal National Theatre and there were two female lead roles 
going and Alison Jaya and I got both of those and we shared a dressing room having I was already the godmother of her son and she's the godmother of my daughter my very one of my very best friends so 16 years later just before I leave London we happened to be in a dressing room together for a year it was very lovely 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 I know indeed. isn't that yeah, nice yeah. that connection she of course uh, became well she was already well known but but she became iconic for playing that pole dancer and I, I just want to fucking dance which uh, was yeah. seemed to be played in every club around the world oh I know she's made a ton out of that she's been flown all over the world well of course she she moved to we were doing nine and um, she moved she actually moved to London with the fabulous singlets um, which were the 60s girl group, um, very funny. And so she worked with them for a long time. Um, and then and then I moved there uh, probably two two years or three years after she did. Um, but we did Les Mis together. She did Smokey Joe's Cafe. Um, yeah, but it was very... It was just that thing of... We both did Hey Mr. Producer, which was, you know, the big Cameron Macintosh celebration with every star and under the sun but those stories about Julie Andrews and Bernadette Peters etc we'll touch on maybe if you've got another seven hours um, <laughs> um, but yeah it was that was really lovely to have that that time with her before I left uh, but nine whoa. nine yeah extraordinary 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 place. and imagine yeah. being an, an adult like yeah. well, you know and doing um 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 Oh my god! My I kept thinking, be Italian. Oh, and I worked at Bartuccio's studio, which was Carolyn Gilmer and Tony Bartuccio. Then I'm in a musical with her. I did Annie with. Well, I was a child when I did Annie, and then I'm doing um, uh, Folly Berger with Nancy Hayes. You know, and then Nancy had to go off for two weeks. And who do you get in? Oh, let's get in Jill Perryman just to fill in. Who, of course, was Miss Miss Hannigan in Annie. So it's just this beautiful, you know, just just, and it was a really great group of girls. I don't remember any, I don't remember any bitchiness at all. I don't remember anybody being arsy with anyone. And even to this day, whenever I see an exchange between, say, Maria and Peter Tapano, you know, I saw Jackie Reese. I'm going to go see her. In um, into the woods next week for watch this, um, and you know we the, there's nothing but love and affection around that group of women, which is just divine. One man, twenty one women. Yeah, well, that's yeah. probably John probably had to suck up all the any sort of um, any any aggression because the us girls we were we were strong as an ox. <laughs> Les Miserables. Les Was that the yeah. original company that you No, did? no. so I was doing nine when the original cast happened, um, and that was at the Theatre Royal in Sydney, obviously. Um, and as I mentioned, I did Superstar with lovely Dean Lotherington. Um, and Melinda Marcellos, I think is her name, um, she was playing Factory Girl. And so this was the first year changeover. Um, and I got, f- they flew four of us to Sydney. And on the Sunday, no, yes, that's right. Sunday morning they fought, flew four of us to Sydney. Monday morning they rang me. Monday afternoon I moved to Sydney. That oh. was two days. And I was playing Dean's wife on the barricade. So my my best bestest friend at age 16, you know, um, who I moved out of home with when we used to work, do cabaret gigs at the Australia Hotel, three, you know, two, three years later we're... we're in a professional production of Les Mis, which we used to listen to on an album, we're both in it on the barricade going, what is, what, what is, what are we doing here? How did this happen? How did this happen? (laughs) It was fantastic. And of course, again, Annie, Rob and Arthur, Les Mis, Rob and Arthur, Madame Tenardio. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and and of course the great great Peter Carroll, um, um, Normie Rowe, Rob Guest. Um, but it was this yeah. So and then John was Javert because Philip Cost had left because with, with the second cast. But that was amazing because I I was in Sydney. It was you know I had a little flat in Bondi with with a darling friend of mine. Um, living away allowance at that point was cash, so you know it, it was. We were living the high life. We were having an absolute ball. You can understand why you know um, uh, theatre folk uh, companies of shows uh, refer to themselves often as one big family because yeah. you've worked with each other yeah. so many times sometimes and you know do. each other quite intimately. I mean, and but the and the action of being on stage with someone and screaming at them and crying with them and making love or joking or ki- high kicking you know the the intimacy of performing with people it's it is an extraordinary job that shared experience yeah. but also the, the intimacy of sharing a dressing room oh god yeah. yeah yeah absolutely i mean when i did when i did um shane Warne the musical with eddie perfect and um all that lot rosie harris amy la palmer mike McLeish, um robert grubb who's played my husband more times than i've had hot dinners um uh, when I did, when we did that at the Ath, you know, we literally had. We you'd have to all be seated for someone to stand up and get, go to their costume. That's how small the dressing room was, you know. So you wouldn't want to turn around when someone's got their bra off. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Not at the Ath. <laughs> um, so the move to London. What was that about? That was you, you felt as if you'd gone as far as you could in oh, Australia, or you yeah. wanted to try Do a bigger know, league. Yeah. Um, so. Every, obviously, we were at Lamy's, doing Lamy's at the at the Prinny, and the next thing that was coming was Phantom, and of course, Phantom was going to be the hugest hugest thing in the universe, um, and I was offered second cover Carlotta in Phantom, which I thought at twenty five was a bit young, and I didn't really want to be a second cover. I wanted to be in Phantom, but I just thought it was really quite a quick thing. I just went. And of course, Dad's British. I had both. I could have both passports. I just thought, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go and live there for a bit. And also, Martin Croft again. Martin was living there, um, so I yeah, I just went, packed my bags. Martin had a little room in his place, um, even though we yeah, went to Paris two days later. Um, he was doing Miss Saigon at the Theatre Royal. And, yeah, and eight months later I did an open call for My my Fair Lady with directed by Simon Callow. I think I was number, you know, 475. Got to the Shaftesbury Theatre at 7am, went in at 4, sang, and got the job. Booked the gig. What did you just sing, do you remember? I can't remember. Oh, knowing me it would have been If I Rebel because that was my standard sort of old school song that I would sing for most things. Who were the principals in that, My Fair Lady? That was Helen Hobson, who um, is, was, is, was, is fabulous, who um, is most, most famous for being the lead in Mamma Mia a lot, done that a lot in, in London. Um, and Edward Fox, who was the Day of the Jackal. Wonderful, yeah. Who was a bit, little bit mad. <laughs> a little bit sometimes eccentric. just... Eccentric. Every now and then he just decided he wanted to just leave the stage. Really? Yes. A couple of times just walked off. Um, but, I mean, you know, My Fair Lady isn't a great ensemble show, really. Um, you sort of... And because we did, we, we did the version where we finished Act 1 with the Embassy Ball instead of starting Act 2 with it, 
you know, you're right, you know, all you're doing act two is get me to the church on time. So it's a lot of sitting around and there's a lot of dialogue. But it was fantastic because we toured the UK, we did um, Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds, Newcastle, um, Glasgow, Edinburgh, um, Bristol, Oxford. So I got the opportunity to have a couple of weeks in all these places and sort of really learn um, you know, my way around the UK. It's rough though because That's one of the big bonuses of touring, yes. But, yeah. But, but what are the what are the negatives of touring? Oh well, um you've got to well, I don't know if it's the same in the UK now, but you've got to find all your own digs. Really? Oh. So there's a there's a Bible. So like in one place some you know, so, and when you get to know the cast, someone will say, Oh look, I've booked a four bedroom house, would you like it? And they'll be like, Yeah and then somewhere else I was staying, you know, somewhere like Oxford where there's no accommodation. I think I was I was staying in someone's loft, so I'd have to come home at night and pull the ladder down, and you know, if you wanted to go to the toilet, you'd have to you know come down the ladder at three a.m. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think there was a huge amount of negatives. I think it was, I think it was really fun. I never did it again though. So your career has consisted of many many auditions. What advice do you have oh. in going into an audition <laughs> to present your best self? Look, I do teach an awful lot of people um, and do a lot of audition prep with people. And I have been dance captain on quite a few shows. So I was dance captain on um, Jesus Christ Superstar at the Lyceum, directed by Gail Edwards, and The Beautiful Game, um, which was the Andrew Lloyd Webber, Ben Elton um, one. So I've, and I've also been audition reader for a lot of things as well. So I have sat in audition rooms and I learnt so much from that. Um, and I'm not a I'm not a great auditioner. I'm I I I sometimes um, it's really hard to get out of your head. You're standing in front of people um, that you don't know. That your expectation is to you want to impress them or whatever. And, you know, and Dad used to say lots of things that when you're a kid you sort of go oh yeah whatever. And in hindsight you really appreciate. You know he'd say don't try to impress express. You know which basically of course is rather than like me like me. You know give me the job validate my existence prove to my parents that they'd spent that money on the drama school. Instead, you know, walk in, tell the story, be present, sing your song, be brave, don't aim for, perfe- for perfection, aim for aim for really good moments, you know. Um, and it's amazing how many people I've seen walk into audition rooms who I know who are really great performers. And this is something that's not happening in the eye. It's a bit of dead in the eyes. And Gail Edwards actually said something really interesting when um, I was audition reader for Gypsy for the production company, who I've done a few shows for. Um she said people have to realise that we want to cast the show. Mm. And so, so many people walk into an audition room apologising for their existence the moment they walk in, rather than walking in with, hi, this is what I can do, I'm everything you want. And no word of a lie, I decided to leave the UK um, with my partner two years before I did. And for that two years, I 100% telling the truth, got every single audition I went for. I had five Western offers on the table at one point. I had two plays and three musicals. And I was like, oh, shit, that's all I had to do. <laughs> because because <laughs> I was... invested so Yeah, because, yeah. No, because I was walking in going, hi, this is me, this is what I do, this is how I look, this is how I sing, this is how I act, thanks a lot, bye. Which is really attractive. It's mm. much more attractive than please, please like me, and I'm really sorry if I'm wasting your time. La, 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 yeah, bye, thanks, bye, okay, huh? You know, it's just, and it's, and, and, I mean, Dad used to say, look, you're either right for the job now or you're not. And 
I I I know I absolutely stuffed up my very first cats audition because and I, I'm not I'm never going to do that again because I was twenty. 19 actually and we'd been doing all these cats classes for six months and they called me in first to sing and I was I'd never had it before I was I was in a I was in a anxiety tunnel it was like I, I couldn't hear or see and I walked out and I went I'm never doing that again it was awful um and so it's that thing of just having just having that sort of confidence to to be yourself and it's really hard but yeah, I think the older you get, and also like you know, deciding I was going to leave London, was like I don't, I don't care, I don't need you to give me the job. So if you want to, go do. And it just does. It did seem to be. I don't mean that in an arrogant way, of course. I mean that just in in a, in a way of just being yourself. Anyway, so what Dad said about you know you either had the job job beforehand or not is is a little bit. I think is a little bit sort of. I'm 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 right for it now. But if I'm right, for, and I know all the women I audition alongside, you know, there's Susan Ann Walker and there's Melissa Langton, there's Anne Wood, there's um, Queenie van der Sand. Um, oh, God, I hope I'm not missing anyone out. Marie Mercedes, of course, all that. Anyway, um, anyone I'm missing out, I apologise. It's my menopausal brain not being rude about your talent. Um, uh, so, and I love all of them. So I'm also of a mindset now like, oh, well, if I'm not going to get it, then I hope she gets it. Yeah, lovely, lovely. <laughs> yeah, you know. That generosity. Well, someone's got to play the part. Yeah. What's it like creating a role? You know, you did so in, in Beautiful Game and Jerry Springer, the opera, yeah. where you were starting from the ground floor. That's really great. That was actually... I did get a bit sick of being, you know, the McDonald's theatre of, you know, the, the cheeseburger has to taste the same everywhere. And there, The that franchise, was, big franchise. Yeah. With, with the greatest respect, because Les Mis is such a Oh, my God, absolutely. Show, and I did but... Les Mis over 13 years all over the world. I did the Royal Albert Hall 10th anniversary. I did a Scandinavian tour with the Royal Philharmonic in front of 5,000 people a night. Like, the most amazing experiences. But but I did get to a point where I sort of went... I remember I, cause I was saying to my agent, look, you know, I'd love to do original pieces. Because I wanted to be the girl who, you know who started started off on the, the cast yeah. recording yes oh well that's the story because didn't make as much as I thought <laughs> when we did the beautiful game I was like it's Android Webber oh, this is it I'm going to be what money you know because I remember meeting someone who was in the original cast of Les Mis and I think she said something like they got something insane like £10,000 or something in the first five years wow and my first check for beautiful game was 90 quid. I was like oh great glad that was popular um yeah, so Beautiful Game was really, really good because, well, look, the, the the slightly tedious thing is that you get 12 weeks rehearsal when you're doing an original show in the UK and they've got loads of money. Wow. And so we did spend weeks and weeks and weeks doing sort of the same improv stuff and developing characters. So it was choreographed by Meryl Tankard. Yes, you're working with a couple of Australians in Gail Edwards and Meryl. Yeah, well, I did like this with Gail here. Yeah. And then, obviously, well, I joined, I joined um, Superstar in London... Um, in the third month because they realised they needed more swings. So myself, Hadrian De Lacey, who I'd done Les Mis with, who I ended up doing Jerry Springer with, um, and Golda Rochevel, who is playing the Queen in um, Bridgerton. So the three the three of us came in. So I, we, we, I wasn't in the original um, cast as Perb, so I didn't really work with Gal, and she came over to do notes, etc. Um, what was I talking about? Beautiful game. <laughs> My kids call me a squirrel. They're like, there's something shiny. What are you talking about? Um, it's like that dog in Up. Oh, yeah. Squirrel. I'm, 
Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> but my, my friends often say, but you, you often come back to the right point in the, in the conversation. So, you know, something's still working in there. Yeah, so it, so it did get a little bit like, oh, come on, let's get on with it, you know. Um, I did a, a production of Evita, um, directed by my darling friend Mitch Sebastian, um, starring Josie Walker, who I did Beautiful Game with, who was the original Mrs Wormwood. Um, I don't know if you've seen, everybody's talking about Jamie. She's most, one of the most talented actor-singers I've ever worked with and a dear, dear friend. We actually did the um, my first job at Theatre Club with the uh, Christmas Carol together, we shared a dressing room. So there was that f- connection with her as well. Um, so um, we did that production of Evita. We rehearsed it. It was at a, an amphitheatre in Cyprus. Um, and we did that. We did that. Uh, we rehearsed that and did the whole thing in a week. So, and cause having been a swing and everything, I'm used to like, yep, get me on. Who am I on for? Right. When I was in, uh, sorry, I'm going to digress quickly. When I was in Les Mis, I did Les Mis in London for. Um, a year um, at, at the at the at the in at the what, which where were we? Oh my god, the palace! And a year and a half later, they had so many people off that the resident director James rang me and said, "Look, we've we've got a lot of people off. Can you come in and do a couple of roles?" So me and Ruthie Henshaw went in for the weekend, <laughs> right? <laughs> and James gives me the list, and you know it's like. It's like um, end of the day, pea picker one, da 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 da, whore four. So then I'm like, okay, no, I can do that. Yep, barricade, ladies, take the gun, also do this and do that. You know, because with and being a dance captain as well, that's how you've got to map a show. And I was in the bishop's door, you know, with all these people, and literally I'm on stage in the West End, going, oh hi, I'm Sally. Oh nice to meet you. Thinking, <laughs> this is so bizarre. It's a bit like me going on in. Um, damn Yankees with the script in my hand in front of 2,000 people but we'll talk about that um but yeah so that was that was that was crazy but beautiful game yeah beautiful game was a very long re- um, rehearsal period but it was very nice and also the nice thing too was we all came up with the idea that we didn't want to be ensemble in the in the program so we all came up with Irish names um which became the names of all those characters which was really lovely Really lovely. Um, and the best thing was that we had to speak in an Irish, Northern Irish accent from the moment we got to rehearsals till the moment we left. Yes, just so you could all attune yourself So we to start the other. day with Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And even now I can speak in a Northern Irish accent because I did it the whole time. And when we were auditioning for the second cast, because I was dance captain, um, when people were getting through, I was, I was the person who was taking the auditionee out to go through the script with them and work on their accent, which I found hysterical, being an Australian. I was like, I'm teaching you how to do that accent. <laughs> it's not that good anymore. But, um, yeah, so that was funny. All of those English theatres that you worked in, what are they like backstage? I imagine they're tiny. Oh, look, I've, and I wish now I'd written down every... Because I've also done lots of gigs around the UK as well with, um, you know, West End Wendy's tours and things like that. Um no, not necessarily. Um, like the Lyceum was refurbed, so that was proper big, you know, ensemble dressing room. Um, the Palace on Cambridge Circus um, was just a big corridor with lots of dresses. That wasn't... No, they're not, actually. I don't really... Um, Cambridge... Cambridge is a bit of a rabbit warren um, backstage, but no, not really. Do you have a favourite theatre that you like to perform in? Well, I did Beautiful Game and Jerry Springer at the Cambridge. The National, of course, is ridiculous because there's three plays going on in three theatres at one. Like, so everything's in rep. So there's like a central courtyard 
Um, so all the dresses, so often a lot of the dressing was facing this sort of central courtyard. And so you're sort of hanging out screaming to Zoe Wanamaker and Kenneth Branner and there's so and Helena Bonham Carter over there and then there's your cast member and then there's this and then you go to the canteen and you're like, it, that was a ridiculous, but that's more star spotting really. Mm. Um, I really liked the Lyceum just because um, Superstar was a great experience, but it's it's really big. I also did Hey, Mr. Producer there as well. Well, yes, talking of star spotting. Oh, God. Hey, Mr. Producer. Uh, hey, Mr. Producer. Tell, us, tell me about some of the luminaries that you got to observe and, and, and work with during that uh, celebration of uh, well, the work of Cameron McIntosh. The work of Cameron McIntosh. Um, so everybody was... everybody. It was so amazing. We were all in... So basically this, there were 60 people in the ensemble and every one of them had played a lead role in the, in the West End, pretty much, you know. Um, and then, of course, we knew who the stars were. We were all sort of put into our various things, you know, what some of... We were doing Get Me to the Church on Time, the kids who were doing Cats, we would be in the booth singing, singing in the booth. Then there was the Saigon numbers where we were... Um, so we, we all were doing sort of... 10 different numbers each. I did um, Nicer and Nice with Miss Millicent Martin in a wheelchair, you know. Um, uh, then there was, yeah, Oliver, what else? Well, lots and lots of little, little different bits and bobs. Um, and Josie Walker, who I was just talking about, she um, she's a mad Julie Andrews fan. And we were all in the auditorium on the, you know, the very first day and there was this whisper that Julie was going to be being one of the presenters. <laughs> and, and we're sort of sitting there while tech is happening, etc. And someone turns to Josie, was next to me, and she went, she's behind you. And Josie just went, ah! like, <laughs> lost her shit. Um, would. And that was one of the most extraordinary things that I've ever heard in my life was when, because obviously Julie's not singing, so when they finished um, um, Rain in Spain, of course, on the first night, um, we had the Queen and then we had we had two shows. And so there was this amazing thing where... She it was um da 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 I washed my hands and face before I come I did and I was backstage and I burst into tears because all you could feel you could feel the audience go and literally just pull onto that and she just walked on she was the most beautiful regal sweet kindest most gorgeous woman. Uh, everyone was having photos taken with her. There's one of me over there again in my Miss Saigon outfit. And I, I'm not very good at sort of sucking up to people and I, I tend to leave... I'm not, I'm not, I don't sort of tend to go up to people and go, oh, hi, can I meet you? know, I'm more likely to sit back. And um, I did go up to her at one point. I went, look, I'm really sorry. I know everybody's asked you for photos. Do you mind? She went, of course, darling, and grabbed my hand and we went into the little side change room and she said, let me just do my hair. And I went like, I'm in my Miss Saigon you know, banner and black. I look awful. And she went, you look fine. And so she was gorgeous. She came down the stairs once in this beautiful black sequin dress and she went, do I look all right? And I was like, you're Julie Andrews. You look fabulous. She was gorgeous. Then Bernadette? Bernadette was... Well, Bernadette's one of the reasons I do what I do. I was... When I was 14, 15, I would listen to Tell Me on a Sunday on a loop. That I always wanted to do that that role um well that was marty webb as well but bernadette bernadette watching her sing time heals everything and the tonys after robert preston died was like changed my life and so i couldn't talk to her i was just like in awe and and i was actually talking to her husband in the wings at one point he went i'll introduce you I was like no no don't don't um and then I remember again, because we all seemed to be sitting in the auditorium a lot of the time because it was such a huge undertaking getting all these numbers together. 
and she was doing losing my mind or something. She walks on, she's in like jeans and a t-shirt, great bod, and you know, wet hair and just stuff, and sings. And at the end, we're all just like clapping. And she's like, oh. Oh, come on, you know, all that sort of thing. And you're just like, what? <laughs> and he, he actually did uh, drag me over to her at the at the party at Joe Allen's across the road after the last night. And I, and I muttered something along the lines of, I'm, you know, thank you. I just love everything you do. And she was like, oh, thanks. That's you. You'd be like that when you're a star. And it was really sweet. But one of my favourite moments was, was watching Judy Dench do Send in the Clowns in rehearsal. That was, I remember leaning up against the some you know in the auditorium and it rehearsal and ah oh, you know you when you just can't speak it was it was breathtaking and and then I had to go get my mic on and I was at the sound desk on the stage left we imagine this the poor sound sound guy on the performance like that swapping over mic packs and she came in and I just was like that, that, I, I mean, I did. I again. I don't really want to. I don't. I said oh, that was just divine. She went, "Oh God, are you sure?" I thought it was a little, and I was like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> you know, Judy Dench has given me a bit of, bit of, um, a bit of insecurity. But my favorite, my favorite thing, because the Lyceum was. I'd just been doing the show there. The Lyceum was my home, and I was going up to the the cafe at one point, and I'd worked with Ruthie, as I said. Um, well, we did the um, Lamy's tenth anniversary together at the Royal Albert Hall, and obviously we did that weekend together at the at the Palace, and um, and I so I got the lift, and it was a huge, huge, big sort of industrial lift, because and I got that up to the, the 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 canteen, and Ruthie was sitting there, and the doors opened, and it was. And of course, I grew up listening to um, Evita, listening to Elaine Page as well. You know, so, and there was, and the lift doors open. It was just me, and there was Julie Andrews talking to um, Millicent Martin, Bernadette Peters talking to um, Elaine Page, with <laughs> Judy Dench chatting to Leia Salonga or someone, um, and 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 Ruthie, and, and Ruthie said, "I just like the doors opened, and I just went and kept pressing the button until they closed again because I just went, oh my god, it's all my theatre, it's my." Th- dream it was hysterical everybody but how lovely that you had the opportunity to to actually thank some of your heroes for, oh it was for, lovely it was really you. lovely i mean we all worked really hard we had such fun and also i was in an ensemble with probably at least half of that ensemble i'd done three or four shows with you know in various guises and so all the cats kids got to be in the Les Mis numbers with us you know i was never going to be in miss saigon so when we did the this is the moment you know there's there was 80 of us on stage in lines doing one voice to lead us da, 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 da. it was and so that was fantastic and it was conducted by martin kosh who you know does everything in the uk is brilliant um yeah if you want to leave take good care I hope you make a lot of nice friends out there Just remember there's a lot of bad And beware Breaking my heart in two. 
to do film when you're in the UK as well. I did one film. I did Evita. And, but what a film. I know. And I thought Madonna was great. As, oh, that's as good. Oberon in there. Yeah, that was funny. I was doing Les Mis and we'd all auditioned for it. And, um, and I got a phone call from my agent saying they want you to play her maid. I was, and this is another one of those star moments. I was in a room half the size of this room, which is, you know, three by three. And it's me and a microphone, a pianist, and Alan Parker looking into a monitor. And fame was, uh, when I was a teenager, yeah. it was like, this is Alan Parker. So they said, you're going you're gonna to be playing her maid, so you'll be going to Budapest, Argentina, filming in London, and there might be some other filming in Los Angeles. Wrapped. Went to the company manager and they were like, they, they were so fabulous. They are like, yeah, see ya. <clears throat> they've got you penciled in. They're pen- penciling you in. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call from my agent saying, oh, the pencil's been taken off. And I was gutted. Send Alan Parker a pen immediately. And then it was like six, seven months later, and I got a phone call saying, are you available next Tuesday or something to do a, a day's filming? So they were filming at this sort of manner and they wanted someone to... They wanted, like, a nurse who ended up being Rachel Eisen, who I did Hamish the Producer with, um, and two maids. But they decided they didn't want extras because I think... And when, having worked in the film, seeing the way people looked at Madonna Poor Love, there was just, like... I don't know how you'd cope with that. And so and, and I was doing Les and they gave me the day off, which was lovely. Um, and I sat... So I got picked up in the gold in the gold limo outside my little shitty flat in Tottenham, which was owned by Helen Hobson, who I did My Fair Lady with. See? It's all about connections. You sure I have to call this episode Too Connection. Many Connections. Um, <laughs> and um, 
And so I got, you know, driven to Pinewood. I, there's this big, I was putting this Winnebago. Next to the Winnebago next to mine was Antonio Banderas. This Winnebago over here was Alan Parker. And then the next Winnebago behind that was the makeup Winnebago. Well, I sat in that Winnebago for 12 hours. <laughs> waiting. And it was, yeah. Waiting and for your close up. Waiting for anything. Um, and. And actually, I'm exaggerating. It was probably only 10 hours. So finally, they, they call me to set, and I'm in my little maid's outfit, and it's this massive mansion, and there's these, you know, they're obviously the reason why they got it. So there's these two must-be 10-foot sort of, you know, arched doors, big double doors, and then there's a massive dining table, and they've got Madonna's stand-in. And so she's sitting at the table, and we're outside with the second AD or something, you know, being about, and they went, OK, call Madonna. They wouldn't have said that. It was England. Okay, all right, call Madonna. That's what they said. <laughs> and as they called her, the second AD turned to me and said, we're not going to need you today as the doors shut. And I was like, somebody's taken the piss. This is a, this is, this is really rude. <laughs> and so I went back to my Winnebago and I was like, oh, that's... Because all day my best friend had been messaging me going, have you been on yet? What's going on? I'm like, it's really boring. And a lot of people had said to me, film's really boring. Yeah. And then I got changed, was going home, was going home, walked out. As I'm walking out, Alan Parker walks towards me and goes, I'm so terribly sorry that we didn't use you today. He knew who I was. It's so terribly sorry. You know, we might get you back in. And then I got a phone call the next day and then I ended up doing three more days. Right. So the first... Do you want to hear this? Yeah. Great. So the, so the first day we were in the, in the studio... I don't know what Madonna was like. Oh, she was... Yeah. So the first day we, we, were, in, we were in the studio and we walked in and there's this, you know, it's, it's just amazing the amount of money. You know, you've got the set of the bed and there's the lights and then over here are the, you know, the um, uh, director's chairs and all that sort of stuff. And I walked... Finally, you know, again, after another six hours, we're actually in the room, in the set, in the room. And I went and I, I was like, oh, and I jumped on a director's chair and the second AD's walkie-talkie goes, get her out of Madonna's chair. And I was like, shit, I'm going to be sacked. <laughs> like, oh, this is not going well for me. It's not going well. And then, um, and anyway, then they got Madonna in. But she's got false teeth, brown, oh, she's got brown eyes, I don't know. She's got, like, brown contacts in. And she was tiny. And so basically the setup was that there was the, the, the nurse, Madonna, me, and we're helping her into bed because she's got the she's got the got the death coming. And um and I could tell that she wanted to work really hard and I knew I wasn't there to chat. That's why, I, you know, so I didn't say anything. But this other woman just kept talking to her and going, Oh, how's it been going? Have you enjoyed the thing? And she was just like and I could see that she was getting a bit you know, because she she really wanted to do a good job on that. She yeah. really did. And so, me being me, because she's got these little fluff, little fluffy pink old slippers on, I went, I just interrupted. I went, oh, Jesus, you've got small feet. And she went, why, how big are yours? I said, nine. She said, well, I've got a friend. And her, I said, I've got a friend who's got a size 10. I went, is it a man? And then we got on really well. <laughs> and you'll see in the shot, actually, as I put her into bed, because I knew the camera wasn't on me, that I'd keep my hand there for a bit. And then we filmed um, the, um, I want to tell the people of Argentina that I've decided to resign, um, that bit. Um, and so that was a big set in Pinewood where we were up, up on a big level and she's looking over the fake balcony. And um, there was, you know, that's, that was one of the things, um, <laughs> oh, I can't tell you that joke, it's really rude. No, I can. Can I tell you a rude joke? Of course you can. Oh, good. Um, 
So Julia Worsley, who I'd done Les Mis with in Manchester, was playing one of her sisters. Connections, connections. And and Madonna was like, they were, everyone was... And this is where I saw lots of extras, like like literally staring at her like... like just awful or wanting to get close to her and things and it was you sort of realize how hard that is because it's clear that she wants to it's really clear that she wants to do her job and so they were doing a close they were doing a close-up of just me and the other maid you know the biggest cameras you've ever seen and and they said say to her you know you can stand down and she wouldn't she'd stand there every time and sing live with David Caddick who um playing piano in an earpiece so we had the right POV she's not even even in the shot so that's when I thought she was you know she was really a hard worker yeah but Julia um, took me over to her and said I'll tell tell M M everyone called M tell M that joke and I was like I can't tell her that joke she said yes you can I went okay how do you make a nun pregnant she went how I said fuck her anyway (laughs) so and Philip Scott went when we, we were doing I can't remember what we were doing told me about five years ago that he went to a Madonna concert and she told that joke. I've got a joke for you guys. How do you make a nun pregnant? I was like, oh! Isn't that fantastic? That's rude. She's stealing your material. That's rude! I didn't write it, though. <laughs> that's very rude. <laughs> you and should go out and sing Material Girl I, immediately. Oh, I should. Yeah. I used to do a um, Julie Andrews Sings Madonna thing where I'd do, like, erotic, erotic, put your hands all over my body. Um... <laughs> And then we did a, the the beginning of Rainbow High, and she was very pregnant by then, and we'd all, all, all got on pretty well. Um, do you know what the News of the World in London is like? The mm. most scandalous paper, and she comes in and she's like, um, "We're all standing around." And she went, "I've just found out I'm having a little girl." I went, "I'm just about to go call the News of the World and make ten grand." <laughs> she went, "You can't do that." I went, <laughs> "That was funny." No, but it was really good, and I, you know, I thought she was lovely. I thought she worked really hard. It was a great experience. But it's just the money and the amount of people and all those things is ridiculous. Huge, huge. Yeah. Uh, you alluded to it earlier, but, but I'm, I'm fascinated. I want to hear the story of Damn Yankees because you talk oh. about that weekend in Les Mis. Oh, but, yes. you know, being a performer is being prepared, being alert, being ready well, I would for nev- anything. Yeah, so we did have situations in, in Jesus Christ Superstar, especially on a Saturday with a long run, where there would be a lot of people off. Um, and I'd get to the theatre in the morning and have the Bible and try and work it all out. And I did have a bit of an issue once where I had to go to the resident director and go, we've got a bit of an issue, I can't make 12 apostles. He was like, oh, I said, it's sort of a thing, you know, 12 apostles. And so, you know, I did many shows where I would go on and I'd literally do that person's line, then walk over to someone else's plot, then do this, because I knew everybody's... Bit. And I would never. This would never have uh, what happened with Dan Dan Yankees. I would never have been able to do unless I'd been a swing and been able to sort of work my brain like that. And perhaps have no fear. <laughs> yeah. Well, just that. Like, oh, you know, Dad used to have a little bit of a gag, which I always loved, which was get on, get off, get home. Love it. You yeah, know, yeah. get on, get off, get home. Um, and so we were doing Dan Yankees. Anne Wood was playing. Uh, Anne Wood and David Whitney were the leads. You know, Damn Yankees is about he sells his soul to the devil and becomes young and gorgeous and a baseballer, which was David Harris. And um, I, myself and Wendy Stapleton were playing her two best friends. So, you know, production company, you get uh, 10 days rehearsal or two weeks rehearsal. And we opened on the Wednesday. And then on the Thursday, I was in a play centre with my two very small children. And um, I think it was about 4 o'clock, I got a phone call from my agent saying Anne Wood's got food poisoning can you go on for her tonight I was like uh 
yeah. So um, I threw the kids to my parents. I raced into the State Theatre. I walked on the stage. Everyone was faffing around me. Um, The beautiful, amazing and wonderful Mr Scott Hendry is the person who got me through it. I went, everybody, go away. Scott, get me the script, highlight my lines. You go get me a can of Coke. I need some energy. You get me a sandwich. Vanessa Scammell, I'll go through the songs in five minutes. And I just took it. And Scott was with me the whole time. Um, I sort of knew the songs-ish. Um, and then, so the opening scene is Anne's character sort of stage right and then right over the other, you know how wide the State Theatre is, right over the other side is David Whitney's character on a couch. Orchestra Victoria behind me. Um, sewing kit, because she's given a bit of this. A bit of that. And in the sewing kit is the to, dialogue. To the listener. To the listener. Kelly was miming sewing. <laughs> I was miming so sorry listeners just think use your imagination um the scrim goes out so I mean no, the, the curtain goes out but the scrim's still in so I can see 2,000 people and the orchestra's playing and I'm my brain's going what are you about to do and so dialogue 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 yeah la, 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 da, da, da. and then I sort of said I think I can do the song so I walked down stage centre sang the song walked off and Melissa Langton went what did you just do? And I went, I have no idea. And luckily the role was such that she had sort of good 10 minutes between each scene. Um, so I just go into the dressing room and Scott was like, Scott was like glued to me. And he was, and I mean, I had the script and he was like, okay, blah, 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 let's go through it. Okay. Blah, and, and so I went on, I had literally had a clipboard and I was, and I, I've already done a lot of reading. So I know it's best to keep my fingers on so I can act and scan. And David Harris is a little bugger. Um, came off afterwards after one of the scenes, and he was like, "Oh, you should have been standing a couple of inches upstage. You were sort of in the wrong spot." So I slapped him. Um, <laughs> dude's only mucking around. Um, and did the whole show, and then at the end did this final scene with David and gave the full tears and everything. <laughs> it's like it was like Sal, um, and they'd already announced it. And then yeah, poor Anne, she was terribly ill. Um, and then I just learned it for the next night. The but, show, the show must go on. The show must go on. And actually, I was telling the story yesterday because. We were talking about you know um, paranoid fear, fairy dreams and 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 that 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 fear of you know being on stage naked not knowing what you're doing. Well, I've sort of done that. I was clothed, yeah. thankfully, but it was you know and it not was that Benjamin. Where I went, I, nothing else can really scare me. I don't think now. Are you superstitious in the theatre? Dad was very superstitious. Was no whistling in the dressing room. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. No, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd do it. But I don't. Yeah. It's a bit silly, but we know why. You know, because you get a sandbag dropped on your head if you whistle, don't you? Isn't that yes, why yes, it was, it was the uh, yeah, fly whistle, crew whistle to the fly saying crew. that we're moving the um, yeah the flies, the beams. The, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, no, not not particularly. No. What about reviews? Do you place much, place much um, oh, investment in those? Well, I did get the best review of my life for Annie, which said Sally Ann Bourne has a voice useful in case of fire. <laughs> Which I've used a lot, so that was a review. And, and they were being kind. No, oh, no. Dear, dear. Just I think it was just no. It was a review for the Australian cast album, and um, yeah, Sally Hamborn has a voice useful in case of fire. It was quite amusing. It was for the uh, for the album, and I was like, oh, look what they they said to Mum. Oh, look, they said oh, my voice is. And she was like, I don't think that's a thing. I don't think that's positive. So have you ever had to use it for a fire? <laughs> no, luckily. No. Thank goodness. 
Yes, that's right. Now, look, I've I've had I've had some really lovely reviews. I've had some things that I haven't had anything awful, but reviews in the UK can be extremely cruel. Um, uh, I know a lot of people who who yeah, there's some really funny ones out there, but no, it's it doesn't. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't really affect me, to be honest. Is there a routine or a ritual that you go through when you arrive at the theatre for for that night's performance? Um. I'm notoriously early. I can't bear, you know, I always get, you know, half an hour before the half. Um, no, I usually just sit down and chuck the face on, basically. And you've arrived. And I'm arrived. Once I've got the lashes on, I'm here. <laughs> when did you drop the, the Anne from Sally Ann Bourne? When I moved to London. Right. Yeah. So the only reason I did Sally Ann Bourne was because there was Sally Boyden, who was in Young Talent Time when I got Annie, and... Um, Mum, being the clever person she was, said, "I think there might be. You might get it." Um, and I, I, I did often get uh, people thought I was her, and so she thought the Sally Ann would would um, differentiate between me and Sally Boyden. But I mean, it's not hyphenated or anything. So when I went to London, I feel like Sally Ann. I didn't need it. It's like Julie Anthony and Julie Andrews. I often yeah. Say, I know they're completely different. Well, but, Robin but Arthur always Anne. had Robin Archer. Robin Archer, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough, yeah, and that's yeah. why when you in the UK, especially with equity, you can't have anybody's name who is, is even remotely similar. Mm. So I was lucky I could have my name because um, Anne Sinclair, who I did nine with, who I lived with in London, she w- tried Anne Sinclair, and you know she couldn't have anything that was remotely like her name as no. her professional name. Well, Sally Boyden, it has been... Oh, you <laughs> cheeky I'm monkey. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> Sally Boyden, it has been an absolute delight having this conversation. Thank you for your story. Thank you. It's been lovely rabbiting on about my glorious career. Now, I've had, it's been a... It's well, it is, lo- it is a glorious career. It's, a, well, it's been a long time and I've had some really great opportunities and I'm very grateful for it and I'm really happy to be teaching a lot now and still doing gigs and stuff. And so, you know, who knows what's next? Thanks, Sal. Thanks, darling. As I stated in my introduction, Sally is a hoot, and can't she tell a story, but also impart terrific knowledge in navigating a career in the entertainment industry. Thanks to my guest in this episode, actor, singer and teacher, Sally Bourne. It's been another awesome year of guests on stages, don't you think? And more to come. Weekly, from where you find your favourite podcasts. Check out the website at www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.